0: Hi, everyone. Hello, Jonathan. How are you doing?
1: I'm all right, Jonit. And uh, well, we're into the long march that is. <laughs> <laughs> I actually always like Pesach and Passover, but there is that point where you think it's gone on quite a few days now.
0: How, I, I, how do you, you complained about Sukkot being too long and you're okay with Passover being this long. How is that, how does that work for you?
1: And, and I haven't even said that. We, of course, out here in diaspora have a day more than you. So that it's an right. eight-day long haul. I was going to say slog, but it can be. <laughs> you know, there is there, there could be digestion issues. You know, it becomes <laughs> difficult um, at some point, and yeah, we're, we're we're at that point in the cycle. I think yes. it's fair to say, but we ha- are here to lighten. One may even say leaven or unleaven your uh, intellectual diet with um, one of the treats of last few months. This was one of those conversations we had on Unholy that really did stay, I mean, with both of us, but I think lots of listeners as well. Um, Cara Swisher was our guest, and she is something, well, she's basically the most influential and most important tech writer, journalist in the world, holding the tech giants' feet to the fire. Um, But we were thrilled to have her on.
0: Yeah, let's take a listen to that. I think that a lot of what she said about the the big tech was really interesting. And she's been, you know, talking about this for a long time, long before anyone else was. And a lot of other stuff in that conversation. So let's tune in.
1: So we say a big hello to Kara Swisher, who is a very cool and very special guest and was described by New York Magazine as the most feared and also the most well-liked journalist in Silicon Valley. I would say... Uh, Carrie, that you are basically the, the number one and most influential tech journalist in the world, but to pull off most feared and most well-liked, that's quite a trick.
2: I'm not so sure I'm so well-liked anymore. I think well-liked has ended. <laughs> that was several years ago.
0: It's it's a profile piece from 2014. Yeah, so. yeah,
2: I think they're not so happy because a lot of the stuff I've been criticizing tech for has now come to pass, uh, including the January 6th event, which is not com- not at all to blame by tech, but tech help facilitate it. And I spent a lot of time talking to legislators and or at legislators and others about the implications of these inventions. And I think they've been listening suddenly in the last couple of years.
1: Okay, well, that's interesting. I was going to say to listeners that you and I go back near, uh, quite a long while mm-hmm. ago. Yes. We were both reporters, me very briefly, at the Washington Post in the 1990s, mm-hmm. in the kind of Jurassic era, before there was all this tech stuff. What's really interesting to me is that tech was kind of tech as a distinct field, probably when you started. And I'm thinking about your podcast, The Pivot, and how that over time has become more and more political, more intertwined yes. with politics. Yeah. And that's because sure. tech itself has kind of changed in some way.
2: Yeah, we we end up talking a lot about politics, whether it's the FTC or, or you know, Marguerite Vestager there in Europe or anywhere else. So we it it, it tends to, right now, a lot of what's happening... Um, has to do with politics because of the power of the tech companies. Whether it's something like Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, whether it's hacking, you know, there's got to be legislative interest in a lot of these areas: cars, um, healthcare, and things like that. So tech has overtaken everything in the world essentially. And when when I first started, it was a small sidelight. You know, these were not rich people. This was not big companies, and mostly tech people thought of was. Uh, chips you know chips and and things like that but it's it's now enveloped everything from commerce to communications to entertainment to healthcare, to finance to everything
0: yeah it seems like to the outside observer that the one of your sp- strong points has always been you know not fawning over these companies and their success and the money no. but rather observing it with a really healthy dose of 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 skepticism and and really examining the power structures and the the social responsibility or lack thereof. Uh, And I wonder, how hard is that Mm -hmm. to do over uh, these years? And and is there any company that you look at and say, they're actually getting high marks in the the social responsibility uh, category?
2: Well, some of them, it depends on the company, right? So I think all of them, I don't, first of all, I don't think one of the things that's interesting, there's just been a recent series called the Facebook Files. Uh, in uh, in the journal, and one of the responses from Nick Clegg, who's from Britain, uh, who I think I'm sure Jonathan knows, um, has been, uh, has been, we're not bad people. How dare you call us bad people? No one's saying, uh, you know, they are. That wasn't what they were saying. It's their products are dangerous and need regulation. Their products are problematic in all kinds of ways, and that's what the sweep of the journal articles sort of uh, is on the shoulders of reporting that had happened previously with more documents. Um, and so I think one of the things that I try to do is, I don't consider these necessarily, not some of them, some of them are not good people, bad people, but some of their products and the implications. And so I don't think it's hard at all. It's, it's like, what are the consequences of what you made? Um, and I think that's where I focus in on. And they don't feel very comfortable because they have to bring it back to the personal, as if they're in some you know movie about a chemical company that's poisoning children, well, they're poisoning someone, but it's not. And, and, and maybe they didn't understand the implications or the consequences. And that's where I like to focus is pay attention to what you've made and the implications of what you've made. Um, and the problem with these people is that they started off very young and very celebrated. They get licked up and down all day. They're extraordinarily wealthy. And therefore, they think everything they do is correct without understanding the responsibility they also hold for the immense power they have in the world.
1: Uh, you wrote your piece recently about the, the endless Facebook apology as if this has gone yeah. on and on and on. And that interests me because in 2016, it all did explode about their involvement in the US election and what sure. they've done in terms of Donald Trump. And the, the idea that five years later, you're still having to write to say these companies are yeah. potentially, their products are dangerous, etc. Five years has passed. Why has this not been addressed, solved, dealt with?
2: Well, because the regulators in the U.S. at least, you know, you've had more luck in Europe and elsewhere in the world. But in, in the U.S., there's almost no regulation on technology companies or any of these companies. Now, they're starting to step in in cryptocurrency, which is a relatively new area, which does need regulation, obviously. Although the people who run cryptocurrency don't think so. But too bad. Um, you know, our cars. That's something people feel, governments feel comfortable moving in on and actually throttling back in many ways. The tech companies have had none, none. Like, people are like, we shouldn't have regulation against tech. I said, we don't have any. There's none. There's none. There's not. There's maybe some minor data laws. There's, uh, but what the laws that exist protect it, Section 230, um, First Amendment, things like that. They're very well protected by laws. They're not hindered by them in any way.
0: So, again, it begs the question, I mean, even lay... People like, right. I mean, I'm not tech savvy. I understand that there's a line between Russian propaganda 2016 and anti vaxxers 2021. And you ask yourself, why? Has this not uh, been regulated? I mean, you had a, con- a very interesting conversation on Sway on your podcast. Uh, you spoke with uh, uh, Dave Edgars, and he said something about, you know, no one's going to come for Amazon because at the end of the day, people like low like prices. It. So maybe that's yeah. true also to Facebook. You say, you know, I know that my data is, is you know, probably in jeopardy in my privacy, but it's so
2: convenient that I don't understand well, yeah. the problem. Well, that's how, you know, the devil shows up, right? It doesn't show up ugly, it shows up convenient. It's like, wow, I can get a, you know, I get mayonnaise to your home with you just thinking about it. I want a sandwich, oh, it's there. You know, a lot of people feel, for example, if Amazon had, handed, had handled the uh, the vaccine rollout, we would have everybody would have been vaccinated. They're incredibly efficient. They do a great job, great customer service. They're rich, they go to space, you know, like they're so successful. And so I think people have a hard time doing anything because it's all free, you know, it's all free, it's all easy. And what I always say to them is, you know what, what do you you get in your trade with these companies? Um, You get free maps, you get your stuff delivered really quickly, you get, um, I don't know, a a calendar, you get dating, and they get everything else. They get all the money, they get all the control, they get all the data, your data, and they get to know everything about you, non-government agencies, Nobody's comfortable with government agencies knowing all this stuff about you. These are private companies that know everything about you, information you give up willingly and not so willingly. And you are okay with that trade? You're all a bunch of cheap dates, you know? Here's some flowers. (laughs) Now I'm going to fuck with you. Like, that's how I look at it. Like, I don't know. I want more from them, and I want regulators. However problematic regulators are, they're elected. You know, you can like or not like Benjamin Netanyahu or boris johnson or donald trump but they were elected and you like, can
1: get rid of them to, exactly two, two right. out of the three um <laughs> tempted to say two down one to go but i'll, I'll avoid that but just tell, tell because of,
2: i think bojo's with you for a while. i think time. so too
1: actually um <laughs> yeah. we are the focus of this podcast is israel the wider jewish world and things but there's there's a quite a fit there because israel has you know prides itself on being this startup nation tech sure. high tech is a big part of that i mean do you have, is there a kind of secret source in what makes a place, you know, you're in Silicon Valley, I think we're talking to you yes. in Silicon Valley now, there is Silicon, you know, Fenn in Cambridge in England, Sil, sort of, you know, yeah. Silicon Glen in Scotland, there's all these areas, the ones that actually work, What what is the secret source that makes a place particularly susceptible or conducive, hospitable for a successful tech industry?
2: Well, you know, there's a lot of books written about this: what creates an innovative society and what ends an innovative society, right? And so that's that's interesting. They all there's been a millions of these over history, um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be technology. There's it, it, they, they all share the same thing: tolerance, willingness to criticize, willingness to 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 change a government that's that's flexible, absolutely no question, and helps them puts in research uh, money and things like that. Um, what ends them are uh, you know, wealth, expensive, closed-mindedness, um, that that places run out of ideas and people move along. Um, I don't, you know, Israel is really interesting because obviously a lot of the tech comes out of the military there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Military intelligence. Military. Yeah, and cybersecurity. Right, exactly. And but, you know, I think it's just, I think there is a, an element of physicality to an analog location based on something like Hollywood. But now it's changed. That's changed rather dramatically in the pandemic. So it'll be interesting to see what happens now that most of these tech companies are going almost fully remote. I mean, I don't I don't although Google just bought up a giant building in New York. But I think that it'll be interesting to see what happens if there is gonna be a place or if we're gonna be able to find talent across the world, you know, or be able to innovate post pandemic.
0: You know, the interesting, obviously, the term Israelis use this past year is unicorns, these companies, the, the, the yeah. startup companies with the value of over the one billion. Israel had 37 of those in 2020, which is really a staggering yeah. number when you think of it how is. small a country we are. I went through the list of just the recent ones. And the amazing thing is there is one female founder. Of one oh, yeah, really? company. Amazing. And I was wondering how, Amazing. you know, how that, I, I don't know what the view from Silicon Valley is, but obviously I'm sure there are more. Same things. It's the
2: same. That's so depressing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The numbers are really down. Because, you know, men are smarter. I don't know if you know that, especially <laughs> white men. They're better than everybody else. Sorry, John. Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, it's because they get funded in that level. Um, they get encouraged. Um, there's a lot of, you know, if someone breaks up, goes Goes to a company and opens another. They bring along their friends. Mm. Um, it's it's. I always I, the thing I say from the beginning, and it's been a long time thing, is um, they think it's a meritocracy and it's a mirrorocracy. Um, they see what they see, and then they feel comfortable with that. Um, you can see it everywhere. You know, on boards of companies. There's no way that that you know. Years ago, I wrote a lead about Twitter, which at the time was knocking itself into a wall on a regular basis, like running itself directly into a wall. And they had 10 white men of the same exact age, type, everything else on the board. And I always thought that was a problem because I think diversity brings a lot of interesting innovation. And there's lots of studies about this. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to virtue signal you. It's just very clear that that's the case. And I wrote a lead that I think I should have retired right after I said on the board of Twitter, which has three Peters and a dick, um, (laughs) there's a problem with diversity. And um, it was, and they laughed about it. And then started, called me back and said, you know, we have standards. And I said, well, what, where were the standards when you had this shitty board that was doing all these stupid things? Like you only mentioned standards when it comes to women and people of color. So I don't think it does a service to these companies to be like this, but it it just is, this is what it is. And it isn't because, you know, if you said it, it's just a group of people are not just good at something and nobody else is. It's the lack of opportunity. It's the lack of um, access to capital and it's the lack of belief um, by the powers that be in allowing people to experiment with all kinds of things.
1: In terms of that access to capital thing, the, the Israeli startups that Yoni was referring to do well out of that. And partly it's yeah. Americans who invest in them. Do you have a yes, sense of what it is so. that might make an American investor think, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll bet on that Israeli startup?
2: well it's a history a long history right everyone pattern matches and they've a very big presence and knowledge in israel a lot of israeli invest, um entrepreneurs have come to silicon valley it's a very tight you know it's a very tight circle uh, so i think it it makes perfect sense i mean you have some very prominent israeli investors um but most of the american investors understand there are certain areas where there's it's fertile to come there and try to find entrepreneurs um obviously this, there's so much money right now that it's really quite easy to get investments. Um, And so, and there's obviously the valuations are going up again. So
0: if there's so much money poured into the system in this country, really just just, uh, huge amounts, what does it do? How sustainable is it? Are we looking at a bubble? I mean, just in Israel, the fact that there are thousands of, you know, newly rich techies
2: around changes
0: society. But is it, obviously a lot of these companies are overvalued.
2: This isn't fresh and new for yeah. Israel. This has happened over and over again. You know, think about it. if you look around the world, where do you put your money, right? I mean, I think there's there's the world is a wash in cash right now. Especially, the tech companies are triple in size in terms of valuation. Wow. Now they didn't do three times the innovation over the past year. Trust me, they got they got an open market that they were able to take advantage of. There were people at home, and then who suffered retail, commerce, in, in in-person commerce. Office buildings. I mean, look what's happening in China right now with this um, this, this uh, controversial company, this real estate company. I think it's mm-hmm. Everglade or whatever it's called. In any case, there's all this money and a lot of uh, and not a lot of places to go, and so it naturally goes to tech, which always seems to do well. And there's there's some very clear trends headed towards us that have been proven by the pandemic that everything is going to be digitized and to invest in it makes sense. And there's big areas like transportation, healthcare, um, entertainment, um, especially, which has had the world's biggest experiment because of the pandemic. Now people have moved that way. um, And now companies are thinking whether they should be hybrid at the very least, um, but remote possibly. Commerce has moved, Amazon has rushed into the breach as, as, as other online retailers. Um, you know, streaming companies now dominate. Movie theatres are struggling. Um, so why not put the money there? It makes sense. So
1: when, when I hear you say all that, and it's obviously all correct, I just don't know how in a battle of accountability where you have this digital colossus many headed with huge resources and wealth and and all the trends in terms of post-pandemic going in their direction. How the puny little politicians, and I would even include the President of the United States in this, can even hope to keep up with them, especially because if they do move, I mean, you mentioned the British case, you know, where Amazon pay almost nothing in tax, they just say, okay, we'll go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. How how, This fight to me seems so, uh, it seems biblically uneven, this fight.
2: Well, you know, we did have big oil here. We had big Big telcos. We had big train companies. You know, this is not something new and fresh. The United States is these companies taking over things, Um, and the U.S. government still is very powerful. Let me just say, I I wouldn't bet against any government, really, any relatively stable government. I use that in quotes, relatively stable um, for the United States. But you know, uh, President Biden has put in place some very uh, strong anti-tech regulators. I would say, I wouldn't say anti-tech tech-critical regulators. Um, Lena Kahn at the FTC. Uh, John Cantor is now under uh, uh, at the Justice Department in antitrust. Um, you have Tim Wu at the White House. And you have a president very much interested and a bunch of legislators, by the way, on both sides, for very different reasons, obviously. Um, the, the right wing thinks they're being censored when they never shut up for a minute, um, which is always my favorite thing. I'm always like, Josh Hawley, you never shut up. <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Green. We wish you would shut up. We wish someone would stop you talking. Um, but but she doesn't, you know, um, which is, you know, a strength of our country, whatever. I find her abhorrent. But nonetheless, she does get to talk. And I think you'll see uh, some partisan, nonpartisan uh, legislation around privacy, around data, the reform of Section 230. I mean, I think one of the biggest problems is... Um, you know, every other industry gets reined in in several different ways. One is by taxation, uh, another, which is a great way to sort of slow people down. Another is by regulation. Um, but uh, one of the best ways to rein companies in, and I hate to say this, is, is, is legal um, lawsuits. Uh, people can be sued, sue the bastard kind of thing. And medical device people can be sued. Uh, uh, financial companies can be sued. Um, real estate companies can be sued. Guess who can't be sued? Tech companies. Well, that might have to be rethought in a significant way. Not completely, not getting rid of Section 230, but right now they have broad immunity, and so Facebook has its CEO who is unfireable and unaccountable who cannot be sued. What is that? I mean, come on. Like, come on. Like, at some point, there has to be uh, criminal implications, there has to be civil implications for some of their behavior, and there isn't any.
0: So if we have this conversation in four years... Will it be a different one, or will we still be asking the question, why is there no regulation?
2: I think it's difficult. Well, Facebook has more PR people. You know, FTC was just hiring, I don't know, 200 lawyers. I was like, try 2,500 you need. Um, Facebook has more PR people. I think there's seven PR people covering me right now, right? Wow. I don't know. Um, no, there's not. I'm teasing. Um, there's. Just, I was so ready uh, to believe that. I was just, yeah. just ready seven? To no, they, what so, do you mean? They they don't talk to me at all, which is, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I still shoot from my little little area. I think they have hundreds. They have more PR people than the FTC has staff um, and the Justice Department. They can't, you know, and all of them do, by the way. And they have enormous money, lobbyists and things like that. That said, I think the jig is up on, on with the public. Um, I think people, the, the trends are showing, um, just like a lot of things, um, the damage that has been done. I think this recent uh, bunch of—I st- think people inside these companies right now. Guess who's throwing all these documents over the wall? Employees of Facebook. Yeah. That's what's happened here. This teen girls thing. This is not a good look for a company. It's just not. This is the effect of you know? Instagram
1: on the self-image yeah. of, yeah. of younger.
2: Well, of course we knew that, and it's been—you know—I I don't know what I would do if I was Facebook, but I would think hard about what they're doing and i think people inside there are thinking hard But if
1: the jig is up in terms of even the public now realizing these things are dangerous but goes back to the dave egger's point it's just too convenient to give up what leverage what sort of power in that arrangement does the does the user have because in the end they don't walk away they're not going to go off twitter or facebook
2: they have to use these products. There's no way you can do your job today without using right. any of these products. So, you, don't ha- you don't have to use Twitter, Twitter, Jonathan. You don't. I'm just a, sorry. <laughs> I think you love it, right? I feel that you love it. Um, <laughs> it's addictive. I think it's looking into the thing. addictive nature of these things is important. Um, you have power to um, not use things. You have power to push for legislation. I think there's two areas that I think. One is liability. Two is taxation. Sorry, three. And three is privacy laws and make them pay for the data they're taking from you. Make them pay. And, and then see their, their businesses aren't quite as profitable once they have to pay for the damage they do. Do you think we should get Same off thing. these
1: platforms in terms of our own mental health?
2: I, a little bit more. I think they should make it possible. I think it's, it's interesting. Apple just uh, said it was going to use the devices to help study cognition and depression. Oh, my God, the the devices that make us depressed are going to help us not be depressed. Okay, got it. Check. Um, And I think Apple's probably the best among them, right, among all these companies in terms of that. But the fact of the matter is they feed off of our data, they feed off of our movements, they feed off of our consumption, and they have to be made to pay for that in a way that's significant. It's happened to opiates companies. That said, what's interesting is tech, Entrepreneurs and money, people of money, are the ones paying for all this research into psychotropic drugs, which actually look like a solution to opiate addiction, which is kind of good. I'm like, thank you for the LSD, everybody, whatever, whatever they happen to come up with. But um, I think eventually the, the government will will rein these companies in. I think they've been lax about it, um, and some of the stuff they're doing, I think, is really interesting. The space travel. Some people think it's overhyped. I think it's important. I'm ignoring Jeff Bezos's ridiculous roller coaster ride to the to the edge of the, the atmosphere, um, but I think some of the stuff Elon Musk is doing is interesting um, and important. Um, oh, not just ego trip. Some,
1: something important. What's the important bit?
2: Oh, e- Elon Musk, the stuff with space, how to how to these rockets. It's very important. Uh, he's not. You he didn't know if you noticed he did not go up in a rocket ship. You know. He doesn't need to do that. He's he's more interested in going to Mars and never coming back. <laughs> but some of the stuff around, um, you know, the car stuff is interesting. Some of the stuff around climate change, I really hope that tech will be used to sort of, you know, help and mitigate the issues around climate change. Because in the end, that that's all that matters, right? None of this is going to matter if we burn ourselves up, right? So um, I think it'll be interesting to see who among these technologists or who emerges across the world to come up with innovative solutions to climate change, which is of course the existential crisis. Of our so that, that can be the redemption. I, uh... or someone else or someone else. <laughs> I think they're wasting their time sticking with each other. One of the things I always think about is there's a kid in, I don't know, Somalia or a, a girl who has a cure for cancer in her head, right? It's always, it isn't just going to be born by computers be born by human innovation, and the fact that they don't let this talent emerge, or they just they hinder it, is ridiculous. It's such a disservice to humanity. We, I, we can't let you
0: go without asking you, okay. since uh, you know we talked about sway, but we also are big fans of, of pivot. Pivot, and uh, yeah. you know, you, you co-host with Scott, uh, the professor Scott Galloway. Galloway, who is half Jewish, yeah. and I co-host yes, with Jonathan Friedland, who is
2: fully Jewish.
0: And I have to have your tips on a pod-distance relationship. <laughs> oh, pod-distance relationship.
2: Really? You know what? Toleration, I say. Every day, Scott says, he just this morning, like I announced I was having another baby, um, and, uh, and Scott, of course, immediately claimed paternity uh, and was inc- highly offensive with a series of extraordinarily rude comments about lesbians and sperm and et cetera. And I just, you know what? People get super pre-offended. My wife, who is Jewish, um, says he, she's coined the term pre-offended, um, where people now today, everybody gets sort of up in arms. And I don't say this is about cancel culture because I think those people who do all the hot take hacks on cancel culture are ridiculous. Um, some people should have, I call it consequence culture. When you do something <laughs> shitty, you should pay the price. Sorry, that's the way it is. And I don't think people are hindered from talking. I think that's overblown and used as a, as a way to make money for themselves. Um, in any case, um, I, I'm tolerant of when he wants to say something that's maybe a little bit problematic. Uh, I think tolerance. Tolerance and understanding um, and a sense of humor, right? Yeah. Like, I think those are my you middle know.
1: names, you need. I mean, <laughs> the tolerance yeah. I have to
2: extend. You really. have to be like, oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> and, liking the, and, and being able to tolerate dissent and disagreement. I think that, that of course, has changed rather significantly because of the internet. Everyone is instantly angry about, or in the rage. But guess what? It's designed to make you upset. It's designed to put you in a rage. And if you resist it, you have a much better relationship. Um, and I don't mean anti-vaxxers, because they can go fuck themselves. You know, they can really, truly go fuck themselves. But um, but I think it's more um, tolerant of people's different opinions. And willingness to listen to them if they're reasonable if they're not fact-based and dangerous no you can slap them until next you know sunday but i think that's that's what i with scott humor and tolerance i would say
1: that's i wanted I to ask one last thing before we let you go i know we, sure. we've said that was the last one but just sure because you're so fluent on on what needs to be done this is a question mm-hmm. I often ask of fellow journalists who are very good at diagnosing the problems. At what point do you feel like you want to get it out from behind the, you know, commentary box and onto the mm-hmm. pitch, really? And is well, that well? I've, I've created cause...
2: lots of companies, Jonathan. Yeah. I left. I left the company. I left the journal to start on my own thing. We just happened to sell it. So we've been doing this sort of. Everyone's like, "Oh, Substack is so entrepreneurial." And we were doing it twenty years ago. Walt and I left and did our own conferences. We did our own. Po- I started podcast six years, seven years ago, because yeah. uh, I thought it was innovative. Anyway, no, what
1: I had you know, in mind was whether this, this talk yeah. about regulation, whether you would seek political oh. office. Is what I was wondering.
2: Oh my god, I think Facebook would lose its ever loving mind. <laughs> no, I think I have, I have, I, I, I thought about running for office, but I think I'm more effective here. I think I have a better, uh, a better place. Uh, I spent a lot of time talking to Amy Klobuchar and Mark Warner, and and I've interviewed, you know. Um, Lena Khan and Tim Wu, and so I think I have more uh, more power making connections for people and understanding, and then not let, pushing back. Like I think I did more good like, when Nick Clegg released his ridiculous latest. Not, it wasn't even. I'm sorry, I'm not sure what it was. It was a lot of words <laughs> typed. Uh, that's all I could think of what it was. Um, I think I have a lot more impact by doing that. I just do. I just think it's it's like impact, like having families or being gay. I think about that a lot. Um, I have more impact having been married and having a lot of children and living our lives in a very proud and open way. And, you know, I think at this point I was joking with with Scott, only uh, only lesbians and evangelicals are having this many children, um, except ours are vaccinated. Um, and, um, And that's how you do it. You know, you just live every day. And so I think I probably have more impact doing that.
1: Thank you, Karis Wisher, for being in the unholy sukkah. We've loved it. Thank you very I much. Love unholy work. Can I ask you a question? A
2: sure. Why did you call it unholy? I mean, I know that series on Netflix. Was, yeah. um, I love Netflix, by the way. There's a company I think. Is we we were there company.
1: before they were actually the series. Oh, were on, you? On, on, okay. On Netflix, but the we called it that because Yoni is sitting in what it's is catchy. sometimes called the the Holy Land. But we're a sort yes. of irreverent take there. on that, I think. Well oh, Johnny, okay. what's your, I like What's your answer to the... Well, I, the, answer, the
0: honest answer is I wanted to call it Two Jews on the News, but Jonathan won ah. with his title. <laughs> two
2: Jews on the News. Well, but uh, Unholy, Unholy, was Unholy was a better won. choice.
0: Yeah, okay. We yeah. thought so too yeah. eventually. Yeah, so.
2: it's a great name. <laughs> I really like it. It's a great name. I hope to get to Israel soon. I love Israel. I love coming there. Um, and I, I really enjoy talking to all the entrepreneurs there and, and London. Not as entrepreneurial. No, 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 very <laughs> much, very much
1: not. Uh, Will we would love to have you on again. Thank you so much, Cara.
2: Anytime. Thank you. See, I don't want
0: to see the whole logic for the conversation. For me, was to listen to her giving tips about uh, pod distance relationships. But I thought that was very important what she said about Scott. And since we did have Scott on a few months after Cara, I just want to give us a little bit of a reminder to what he said as an answer to the same question. Uh, I have to ask you, uh, before we let you go, about the podcast medium, which you have been incredibly successful uh, in, and we uh, also interviewed your co-host, Kara Swisher, and we asked her what her secret for a pod-distance relationship was with you, and uh, she said patience. Patience. (laughs) 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 So I wonder what you would say after hearing that you said patience.
3: Well, you know, I'm a big fan. uh, uh, So, Yana, I... I worked my ass off for 30 years so I could be an overnight success, courtesy of Kara Swisher. <laughs> so uh, I love working with Kara. The, the nice thing about, and we were going back to polarization, <laughs> I make, I'm make a crude and profane person. I make all sorts of inappropriate jokes. Um, and I think the reason that, and one of the things I believe about um, it, progress around embracing each other, people of color, people of different sexual orientations, people from different backgrounds, is I think teasing is affection. I think we'll know when we've made progress, when we can make light of our differences. And one of the things that I really enjoy with Kara is she makes fun of, you know, kind of what a jarhead fraternity boy I am. And, I uh, you know, I make fun of her around how woke she is. And we talk about each other's sexual orientation very openly, and we rib each other. And I think that's progress, and also when I say something inappropriate or profane, there's a there's a quietness and a silence. And then when she laughs, it kind of gives everyone else permission to laugh. Because I think all of us <laughs> deep down find some of this stuff kind of funny. Uh, so what I really like about Kara is that she gives me cloud cover to be a little bit inappropriate. <laughs> and people recognize that on the important stuff, there's a lot of people out there who are empathetic, good people, want the best for people. But still, see humor. Still, can be crude or profane. It can be vulgar, and that's okay. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. Uh, so, I absolutely love the partnership. It's, uh, it feels like you guys have a good rapport and a good partnership. The other thing that's really interesting about the medium is the medium really is the message. If mm-hmm. if someone comes up to me, I know they've seen me on TV. If somebody writes me a really long, thoughtful email, it means they've read one of my posts. The written word is really powerful when it resonates with people. If someone comes up to me and just starts talking to me as if they know me, Hmm. it means they listen to the pod. Because there's something about being in someone's ears and them getting used to their voice. They begin to believe that you're speaking to them and that you have an informal relationship. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if this happens to the two of you, but there's something very intimate and familial about the podcast medium and that's very rewarding because people come up and are they it's like your friendship goes starts at letter d they just start talking to you as if they know you and you know them and then they have to Mm -hmm. say oh wait it's been one way yeah i know you but you don't know me but i i find the medium fascinating um i'm much more handsome on podcast i have a very good looking (laughs) voice um but but tv it starts to all fall apart but i've loved it and i've loved working with Kara. So we have
1: very different approaches uh, from the two of them. I mean, she says like kind of the secret of podcasting life it, with between co-hosts is patience. And he says, just to- tolerating the vulgarity. I don't know. I think the first one. But does the second one read across to us that much? I'm not so sure. With you um,
0: no, no. I think we have pl- room for improvement on that. Um, but... <laughs> Someone on, vulgari- to be- on tolerance so exactly, of vulgarity. No, tolerance is, a, we do tolerance. There's not enough vulgarity in this podcast. I wanted to talk yes. to you about this. I think it's not, you know.
1: It's weird, isn't it? Because we are allowed. There's no broadcasting rule. <laughs> but for me, I'm just super <laughs> conscious that I have my children might listen. Although, you know, if chance would be a fine thing. I'm not sure they listen that often. But the I worry about that. But with you, I think it's, you know, what's the issue there? That's
0: interesting. No, no. you I, could, I, I, but, I could. The evening news. Are you kidding yeah. me?
1: I was, there was a be, point
0: in which we talked about this being the Jewish pivot. And I remember Rom Atik is their head of the podcast department, at Channel 12 here. And he said to me, yeah, I don't think you or Jonathan have a big mouth enough for it to be a Jewish pivot. So
1: That's true. Um, because because it would be such a shock for people. It, for people to see you swearing would be like people here seeing the Archbishop of Canterbury <laughs> swearing. It would just be like, that can't happen.
0: I appreciate it. It's a law person.
1: against nature. With me, I just, yeah, it just doesn't come that easily to me. It's something we need to work on. Anyway, um, I think the uh, secrets to podcasting, but secrets really for a whole lot of getting through 21st century life from Kara Swisher, what a brilliant uh, mind she is. So that was a great edition uh, of the podcast. We will both be back with you on the other side of Pesach slash Passover. So it will be great to join you all then. But meanwhile, we will see each other on the other side.
0: We will.